Welcome to Life Uninhibited. I'm your host, Kristen Messagy. Today, it's all about thinking. We are the thinkiest thinkers on the Enneagram. I really hope today you take something and actually apply it. See if you can impact your own experience and start to build that belief that you have more power over your own experience or your ability to understand you than you currently believe. Enjoy and let me know what you think. Okay, sixes. Hello, welcome. Let's do some orienting. My brain needs to orient to the fact that we are now at episode 13 of this podcast that did not exist uh, 13 episodes ago. And I kind of can't imagine it not existing. This is the most fun and I don't even know the words for it. This has just been so incredible. What I thought would happen is I would launch a podcast. Well, first let's talk about why I really felt the desire to do this. I have lived in a Facebook group for sixes. It's still open. You can still join currently. It's called Life Coaching for Sixes on Facebook. I have lived in that group for five years. I created that group five years ago. And for a very long time, that was all of the content I did for sixes. And I would just do videos and teaching series and all these different things. And that was all I did. And it was great. And then at some point, I started doing Instagram a little bit more. I'm still figuring that one out. And then I created a course, all these different things. What I knew, what I started to really feel was I was not able to really say and flesh out the things I wanted to say and flesh out. Social media is not a place, perhaps you've noticed, for deeper, nuanced, conversation. Woo, I just felt a big rush of emotion because we all know kind of what social media is doing to us and how it's taking advantage of our brains and our attention and all these things. I have really been feeling that in my bones lately, probably because I have kids coming up preteen, almost teen. And I'm really starting to think about these things in terms of them and their development. And I'm seeing just more and more how I have been so taken over. Okay. It's kind of, I want to say it's unrelated, but it's not unrelated. It's really a big part of why I was like, I have to find another place off of these platforms to be, to exist, and to really be able to talk about things more deeply with other people in conversations. And what I thought would happen is that I would start the podcast and a couple people would listen and I would have time to get good at this new thing. And by the time anyone showed up, I would have a clue. That is not what happened. This podcast launched with so many listeners that then, of course, I totally freaked out, talked about that previously, and I really had to do a whole bunch of emotional work around feeling very exposed and 
kind of, you know, like a fraud and imposter, all these things. As it has gone, this community that we have here of sixes is just uh, kind of started big and is growing every week. And I'm just so thankful you are here. I'm so thankful you are getting value from these ideas and from my experience being in 60 Brains for the last five years. And of course, my own 60 Brain, which I've had the pleasure of inhabiting for 46 years now. Um, it's delightful in here. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes not so much. So I just wanted to acknowledge all of that. And I, I don't have like a conclusory statement other than wow and how cool. And I want to know all the topics that you want to hear about and that you want me to like interview people about. So be sure to send me those via email. I always have the link to my email in the show notes. Okay. Today we are going to talk about thinking, all about thinking. Yeah, let's do it. This should be fun. Okay, let's go back to the early days. I had become quite the Enneagram enthusiast and was learning all about the Enneagram and going to all these workshops and just, you know, learning, 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 learning. And what I had come to effectively as a six was that I have a thinking problem. And so... I wanted a thinking solution. And simultaneously, I was looking into coaching and looking at what school I might want to go to, what tools might I want to learn. And there was a school that taught what they call thought work. So this appealed to me so, so, so much. I had applied. I So I bought this book online. Um, I think it was $7 and I bought the book that taught the main technique uh, that you learn at the school. And I went through that book. I did everything in there and I had immediate results in my life. I had no idea that my thoughts were not just things I had to believe and attach to. I did not have any awareness that thoughts were things that appeared in my mind and I could actually choose other thoughts and do things in a different way. I had no idea that I could look at what I was automatically thinking and really connect that to my feeling experience. And really start to build that connection between, oh, thoughts and feelings. And what did that look like? Also, I didn't know, right? I could impact my feeling experience by certain thinking tools. I didn't know that all of that uh, was just happening inside me and wasn't like just a direct effect from the world around me. So I learned these things that literally blew my mind. 
And when I applied these tools to my life, I started seeing immediate changes and results. So I got really excited and that's the school I chose to go to. And I learned these tools and they are incredible tools. Now, the problem is that, well, there's a whole bunch of problems. I don't really want to spend that much time on the problems other than to say there's so much coming online in terms of the therapy industry and the coaching industry where we are all learning so much more about the body and about trauma and about, you know, what lives in the body versus what lives in the mind and how to actually heal this whole entire system. This is something that Enneagram does an incredible job at, right? The Enneagram is like, hey, we've got a head center and a heart center and a body center. And we have these primary ways of sort of being in each of those centers. And these are automatic patterns. And what we want is balanced functioning in each of these centers. Like the Enneagram has so much wisdom baked into it. How do we get there is everything else, right? How do we get there depending on our number, our particular um, experiences, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so the reason I bring up the critique of thought work is because I don't primarily practice that way anymore. These are tools I draw on occasionally rather than them being my main tools. I much more now work sort of with the body and with emotions. Although I don't even know if that's true. There's just so many different tools and ways to access the head and the heart and the body and not specifically working with the mind, not developing tools that specifically help us with thinking as sixes, I just think is really missing the boat. So it's important to me to highlight the critique. It is more important to me today to talk about all of the work that can be done with and around thinking. Because it's so much. <laughs> also, I want to say when we do uh, call it thought work, mind work, whatever, we can create a level of stability in managing our thinking that can actually set the stage for deeper work in the body. There's, I mean, we can go into the body too quickly if it's not safe. For many, many, many sixes, going, quote, into the body is not safe. There's no foundation for that. There's no experience for that. There's no history of that. And so a lot of times top-down work, which is what I call thought work, top-down, you can work from the top down, you can work from the bottom up. Usually it's all the things sort of at the same time. But top-down work can create a sturdiness and a safety to go in and do deeper work. So that all felt important to say. 
set the stage. This is what I like to do. This is what I get to do on my podcast. I get to set the stage in a longer, more nuanced fashion. I love it. Okay. So what can you do with just your mind? The first concept I want to highlight here is let's call it mental objectivity. So what I'm imagining as mental objectivity means I'm using my mind to be able to look at what is happening within myself with some objectivity. So when we have that on board, we are able to see ourselves, see what is happening throughout our whole system and choose our relationship to what we see. So that is kind of, I want to say maybe the end game of these various mental tools is that I can have a sense that, oh, look at what my brain is doing. Oh, look at what I'm feeling. Oh, look at the sensations occurring in my body. And then we can really decide how to relate to those things. And one of those decisions, if we're going to sort of hold like presence and whatever as some sort of ultimate goal, one of those choices we can make with our minds would be to just be with whatever is occurring. Now, there's a whole range of ways to choose um, how to relate to ourselves that are well before the space of just being with what's here, which while that sounds simple, is actually quite difficult. So part of this is I want to build you a little bit of a bridge. And, and I think this is just part of what's missing too. When people look at uh, thoughts and thinking is they don't consider there's an entire world of thought that we can choose in between the black and white that is automatically offered by our minds. If we have mental objectivity developed, we can look at things in very nuanced ways. We can add simple phrases that actually can calm our entire system. Things like, oh, I notice that I'm feeling really activated and that's okay. I'm allowed to be activated. The end of that sentence, that's okay. I'm allowed to X is going to have an impact on our system. It's a thought generated in our mind that has an impact on our system. The biggest pitfall in mind work is an unseen should. The unseen should, and this is just how 60 brains work. We turn everything into a should automatically. And this is one of the things we want to build mental awareness of because the unseen should is if there's a thought that would help me, would be, quote, better, I would like more, I would feel better if I was thinking that thought, then I should be doing that. Okay, that is one of the killers that occurs in a 60 mind that goes totally unnoticed most of the time. The shoulds are thoughts that we really want to get access to. They are running the show. 
it can be useful to get access to our more global shoulds, which would be around the identities that we think we need to be to be safe or sort of bigger, more conceptual shoulds. That can be useful. However, easier to do, particularly in the beginning of this work, is just in any given situation. What are the shoulds here? And then we want to bring on this mental objectivity. Now, the idea of this being objective is it's it's just an attempt at being unbiased, right? It's, it's not going to be perfect. That's totally fine. But it's a genuine attempt to look at what is happening in the mind or even in our bodies and try to not judge it either way as good or bad. So it's a noticing, you know, it's always really fun when I've been working with someone for a while and they start to say things like, so I noticed dot, dot, dot about themselves. And you just, it sounds so different when someone has the capacity to look at themselves with a noticing on board. It's a very different state than being burdened, laden under the tyranny of shoulds and rules that not only project out onto the world, but us inside. And then this internal disconnect because we have all these rules and all these shoulds, but who we are may not agree with those. And so that's a thing that we want to build awareness around. And to create safety to do this using our minds is to develop the skill of mental objectivity where we can look and say, oh, I see that my brain is offering me these shoulds in this situation. Interesting. I wonder what else is there. And then your system will offer up other things. What else is there? And if you have a commitment to holding what you see with some neutral objectivity, do you see how this is not about, is this right or wrong, good or bad? This is just what's here. And I have a commitment to seeing what's here with less judgment than I might normally add, right? This does not have to be done perfectly. This just gets to be done. Okay, a couple more things I want to cover today. There is so much to cover in the realm of thinking alone. I, my biggest invitation is get curious about all of your thinking and then add some genuine curious questioning to it. Okay, that would be like the global invitation. However, more specifically... Let's revisit this idea of the six anti-self action. Remember, all numbers have an anti-self action, a mechanism that keeps their tender self safe in a maladaptive child consciousness way. As an adult human, and as we are developing our adult consciousness, we probably wouldn't choose this strategy. And so we get to develop new ones, heal wounds, et cetera, et cetera. However, the sixth anti-self-action is self-inhibition. So I want you to imagine things that come from below, from up, from your gut, from your instincts, 
from your knowing. This is all down below. It comes up and as it arises, the inhibition, I've started calling it the inhibitor, comes online almost immediately and starts pulling the awareness, the idea, the knowing apart with doubt. It just starts with the what ifs and don't forget this and what about this and uh uh-oh, what if you're wrong here and what does this person think? I mean, just the mountain of thoughts that come on board to start pulling apart the knowing. That is the mechanism. The other mechanism is cynicism. Just this deep belief of like, you don't really know. You can't have anything of true value. You need to go outside of you and prove things true. You you can't. It's just a sense of disbelief in self. So the inhibitor includes doubt and cynicism. Now, if we know, if we know in our minds that this is what our system does as a matter of course in order to keep us safe. However, it is a maladaptive strategy that we know that it's maladaptive to our joy, flourishing, thriving, etc. If we know that and we we believe it, we're like, okay, I get it. I get it. My brain mechanism is to pull apart the things that come from me, then we can bring on this mental objectivity in order to manage it. We are not at its whim. Now, what I want to say is some people that I work with can do this mentally. First, here comes the doubt and the cynicism, whatever, and the spin gets going. You know, the spin, it's just just the looping and the it, it, the the thing that we wanted to get out just gets lost and it's gone. Some sixes can come on board with this mental objectivity and say, ooh, I notice my brain is doing what my brain does. I notice the inhibitor is in the room. Okay, I see it. I'm going to notice that. And in that moment, you have choice. You have choice back. Like, okay. What do I want to do now that I know this is here? Maybe I want to reach out for some support so I don't get sucked into this. Maybe I can just set it aside and access different thinking. You have choice. Some sixes, that that mental piece cannot be accessed until some body work is done. By body work, any number of things. However, it's still your mind that has to come online to redirect from the spin to the body, whether it's I'm going to do some deep breathing or I'm going to center myself, calm my body, connect, you know, all the numerous ways that we connect to our bodies. So there's nothing wrong with you if using your mental facilities to get out of a spin are not enough. You may just be someone who needs to approach it from a different direction. There's no right way. It's literally just let's learn all the tools that we can. So when we find ourselves in a spin created by the inhibitor, because that's just the way of things, we have tools to get out. So in another episode, obviously, I'll talk about 
bottom-up stuff. We're just hanging out in the top-down world today. One last thing I want to leave you with is your thinking can reveal your inner state to you. This is actually something that has become so useful to me is I can watch my thinking follow my inner state. And again, because some of my built up beliefs are that I'm a human being, uh, human beings sometimes feel good, sometimes feel bad, et cetera, et cetera because I don't have as much judgment as I used to about what state I should be in all of the time. That's an interesting thing just to look at too. What does your brain think? How does your brain think you should feel all of the time? What is your brain story about how you should be experiencing life, right? So probably your brain's going to have some warped idea about what it looks like to be a human. <laughs> it should be relatively easy and comfortable and I should feel good and peaceful. Otherwise I'm doing it wrong. Like it's madness. What our brain has decided is the truth of things. It, it has really no connection to or bearing on reality. But the point is that your thinking can reveal your state to you and you can then bring something to yourself. So if I notice that my thinking is really negative, then I'm clued in that I'm probably not feeling great. There might be something up with me in terms of tired, uh, thirsty. Have y'all heard the HALT acronym? Hungry, angry, lonely, tired, right? Maybe there's something in this very basic body human need set that I need to tend to. Maybe I need to go for a walk. Maybe I need to rest, right? If I notice my thinking and instead of getting caught up in the content of my thinking, I let it be a clue that something's going on with my state that might need my attention, then great, right? Then I'm taking care of myself as opposed to getting caught up in whatever the heck negativity my brain has offered. Also, if I notice that my thoughts are trucking along pretty nicely, usually I notice that's because I'm feeling okay, or maybe it's the morning time and I've had my coffee and you know my thoughts are as expected in that state. So your thoughts reveal your state. You can sometimes use thoughts to give your state a bit of a break. You can create permission for your state to exist, right? I'm a human being. Humans have uptimes and downtimes. I have feelings. Humans have feelings. Sometimes I feel sad. Sometimes I feel mad. Sometimes I feel, you know, these things sound really rudimentary, I'm sure, However, if you take them and apply them to yourself, you're going to notice things happening. You're going to notice that either your brain's going to argue with you about some things. Your brain's going to be like, well, no, you need to feel happy all the time. You'll notice a thought like that, that maybe you didn't know was there. Or you'll notice, no, you really need to do something to feel better. You'll just get to know yourself better. This is 
all about using our minds to create self-awareness for us. Not so that we can fix ourselves, but so that we can know ourselves. Because as we know ourselves and then develop an intentional relationship with that self, everything starts to kind of change. We're doing different work at that point. We get off the, you know, personal development hamster wheel of doom and we sort of step onto the, oh, this is who I am. And that's cool. I can learn to accept me. It's just, it's a whole different, it's a whole different deal. Just being a human that you have accepted as you in the world, I promise you, you will still do work if that's what you want to do, but the work is different and it lands differently and it lasts in a different way. It's just fundamentally different. So this is one way, many ways, I gave, I guess I gave a few different ways to use your mind to create self-awareness in a way that is for you and not against you as your brain is designed to do automatically. Okay, so earlier I mentioned that you can use thinking to help create safety to do deeper work. A lot of times what is in the way are our thoughts about different emotions, different experiences. And if we can look at those thoughts and create some nuance and flexibility around them, we create a mental state. Think of this as like mental assistance for emotional work or body work or however you want to approach somatic work, right? Work that's not done in the mind. But because our minds are so powerful and we are so mental, it is often helpful to use thinking on purpose to create safety for different work. Mental assistance. What can that look like? One of the things I have all my clients do in the group coaching program is specifically look at their thoughts around specific emotions. And what is always revealed is that they, their mind is judgmental of most emotion negatively. We, I just say sadness. What is your thought about sadness? And people are like weakness or don't be sad. Like their brain just offers their resistance to that experience. Anger. You can look at your thoughts around anger. Look at your thoughts about grief. You can look at your thoughts around confidence, your thoughts around, I mean, so many different things. I don't know. I have a whole list in there that people work through, but revealing those thoughts and then looking at that thought and then considering what's a more self-supportive way I can consider this emotion existing for me. Like, oh, well, anger can alert me to my boundaries, what's important to me. Sadness is a human emotion. Humans can feel sad, right? There's just so many ways to create some openness and flexibility that you don't realize you don't have 
when all these thoughts are left in the unconscious. So some other thoughts I just want to leave you with. Things like, I can, I get to decide how much of this emotion I feel. I can handle this feeling. I can be with this experience. I can get bigger. I can contain this energy inside me. You know, one of the things that we deal with as sixes is, quote, reactivity. I don't even like that word anymore. I've got got some thoughts sort of building about it. However, let's just work with it. The way I think about reactivity is that instead of being sort of big enough, open enough, soft enough to contain emotional intensity, right? The vibrations and sensations that emotions cause. It's like our system squeezes against those sensations and then it's just coming out in all of our various coping mechanisms. So one thought that I really love working with and helping people work toward is I can get big enough to feel this. And you just imagine literally like opening up and the sensations literally have more space inside you to exist. And you can create that space and that um, that more ability to contain with your thinking. Do not dismiss the power of thinking at the same time as you're building awareness around the automatic thinking that is not for you. I mean, you know, it's for you in the sense that our personality exists to keep us safe, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) But the thinking that appears is not for you in that it's a maladaptive strategy. And it's just what 60 brains do. It's not to be believed, focused on, given a lot of attention. It's to be noticed. And then we can access choice. So we are at the same time taking what appears automatically less seriously and taking very seriously the thoughts that we can create on purpose to help us on our spiritual, psychosocial journeys of being human. All right. Talk to y'all soon. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. Go get the free confidence series for sixes. If you haven't do it, go through it. Tell me what you think about it, what you're getting from it. There's so much packed in that little tiny free course that can start to help you think about and understand your experience with confidence in a new way. See you soon.